Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast. I am Gittos Llewellyn and with me, as always, we have Steve Carroll and Matt Baraku. Evening, boys. Evening. Evening. Um, today is going to be a, a little bit of a different one. Uh, we're going to be splitting it in half, basically. The first half, um, we're going to stop putting off the inevitable. We're going to take our heads out of the stand and we're going to actually discuss the playoff final, which uh, happened a full week and a half ago now. So plenty of time for the dust to settle and for us to, uh, you know, get our minds in check, get all the emotion out of the way and uh, look at it uh, with, uh, a well, a minimal degree of common sense and uh, perspective involved. Um, but after that, we'll move on to uh, the very exciting topic of the Euros, which kick off this weekend. So we'll be assessing Wales's um, upcoming opponents and what we can expect out of this tournament. Um, but before we get on to the exciting stuff, let's uh, start off with uh, one of... Matt, is it fair to say one of the blandest playoff finals that we've um, that we've ever seen? One of the most one-sided, for sure. Um, I'm not sure Brentford would call it bland because uh, I'm sure they'd love their day. But um, no, certainly if you're a neutral uh, or indeed a Swans fan, you're not enjoying that as a spectacle. Um, it was over before it got started, really. And, and I don't mean that by the two early goals. I mean... We we talked about the incredible risk it would be for Cooper to change formation, given that we've had you know relative success since um, we lost the four on the bounce. He's changed it to uh, to to a to a four three three, and uh, we've got back on track. We we talked about it and thought, well, would he change it to a back? Five? I'm sure he probably won't now. It seems like a ridiculous risk to take, um, but he did. And you know, looking at it with with the you know the benefit of hindsight. It was. Uh, it looked a lot like we waved the white flag before a ball was kicked. It was um, a poor tactical decision. Um, if Brentford had a number, and uh, I'm sure as the team sheets came out, Thomas Frank would have drilled into his players that uh, we're running scared before a ball is kicked. Um, it just didn't work, you know. And when you're two 0 down inside 20 minutes, and your manager's then forced to reshuffle and 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 change it back to the four three three, you're scrambling. Um, it was. Uh, it was a fantastic day. I can't take anything away from that. It was a great day. Lovely to get back out and get back to a football match and uh, you know and 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 see people and um, so on 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 the whole, it was great. It was a great fourteen hours or so. It was just a shame about the ninety minutes in between. It was. Um, I'd like to have seen us, you know, show something. Um, there was a ten minute period in the start of the second half where we threatened, uh, but the Fulton red card sort put paid to that so um unfortunately it was uh it was um a really poor showing from us i mean that's basically it isn't it steve i mean 10 minutes into the game brentford have a penalty which you know they did brilliantly to win there was a stunning through ball and um you know woodman's just not quite quick enough to to get to get to that ball they score the penalty and then 10 minutes later there's a there's a blistering counter counter attack I personally think we looked very slow to react to it. It seemed like Brentford were busting a gut to get into our box much more than we were busting a gut to get back and defend it. Um, but you're talking 20 minutes on the clock and you're 2-0 down a playoff final. Teams don't come back from that anyway, do they? Especially when you know, you're underdogs as Swansea were against uh, a Brentford team who we knew beforehand had you know a much more talented squad than us and and were capable of playing much better football than us i mean there was no real way back from there was there 
No, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think before the game, my outlook was that the first goal was going to be huge because we're not the type of team that can chase very well. But if we were to go in front, you would potentially back us to see a game out. So in that sense, it was it was always going to be big. And as soon as we conceded the first, I feared the worst. And then to concede the second so quickly, and it was such a poor goal as well, as you say. I mean, they seemed to be busting a gut far more than we were. I think everybody really was quite resigned to the fact that um, Brentford were going to be the team that were going up, and we weren't. Um, it was as straightforward as that. Really. It was quite a strange one because I mean, we've had playoff finals in the past, and we where we've lost in the last minute to Northampton, and and Barnsley did us on pens, and they were, you know, incredibly difficult to take because you know losing like that is horrible. I mean, especially look at the Barnsley one where you know we were incredibly unlucky. Really, I mean, the, there was no justice served that day, but. We can't complain one iota, can we? We didn't have a shot on target in 90 minutes. There can't be many teams who play a playoff final and can say that. So it's as simple as the better team won and uh, and that's it, really. Yeah, I mean, you look back at the match, there was only one real chance for, for Swansea where you'd say that, that may have possibly changed the dynamic and put a bit of pressure on Brentford. And that was Andre Ayew's um, header just after after half-time where he just couldn't get enough on that header to, to get it towards the goal. I'll be honest, you know, the way the game had gone, the way we play and the way, you know, you know that we need to take our chances. That felt like the moment to change the dynamic. And once that was gone, that was pretty much the game gone. But, but like you said there, Matt, the game was truly dead and buried on 65 minutes when um, Jay Fulton uh, got sent off. What was your reaction at the time watching it? And me, and, me and Steve disagree on this, actually, I think. Really? Um, I think, uh, obviously, our view wasn't the greatest. Uh, we were on the other side um, of the pitch to where the foul happened, or we were on the uh, other end of the um, of the touchline. So we had a... We, I mean, I saw Fulton going, I saw his legs in the air, and you heard the, the ooze in the crowd and stuff, and you just thought... And as soon as I saw uh, Chris Carvener was it running over to it, my heart was in my mouth then because when a ref is is hasty and, and and run over to a situation, you kind of expect what colour is going to come out. Um, and and yeah, um, I'm watching it back and I, I've watched it a few times. Um, he's so incredibly unlucky, and I don't blame the ref because he's looking at it from behind the player, much as 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 uh, as we were, but he had a closer view of it and he may have just seen Fulton flying through the air because when he's accidentally trod on the uh, on the player's ankle and Fulton's lost balance um he's he's ended up is uh, is ended up with his legs in the air and uh, and it looks a horror challenge yeah it's anything but you know he's trod on him as he's as he's crossing his path now in, imagine Fulton doesn't lose his balance um and that that passage of play happens where uh, the players are crossing each other. Fulton uh, treads on the back of his heel, and the player goes down. Um, I've seen players get away without a yellow in those situations. Certainly, a yellow would have been the most. Uh, but the ref didn't have VAR, so he had to go on what he saw. He made a very quick judgment call. Yes, he was hasty and quick, but I don't see why people using that as a as a reason to bash the ref. Because even if he'd taken time, he only could judge on what he saw. And, and and from what he saw, it looked like a, an incredibly rash, nasty challenge. Um, so I can see why he was sent off from the vest, ref's view, but with the benefit of replays. And had we had VAR, I'm I'm convinced 
uh, VAR would have overturned that. It's a shame because it was in our best period of play. It was. We did have that IU chance. The crowd was starting to get up. We just knew one goal changes everything. Remember the bread, the Reading game? We were 3-0 up in that one, and somehow we contrived to turn it into a match in the first 50 minutes of the second half. Um, so there was the opportunity. Um, that's not to say that the, the, they would change things, because even if we'd scored, you always felt like Brentford weren't ever needing to get up the second gear, because we didn't have a shot on target, as Steve said. Um, we didn't give them anything to worry about. If we did, and if the red card didn't happen, it would have been interesting to see would we have been able to snatch a goal? Would we have forced Brentford to then come out? and Because uh, they would have had to take risk. There's no way Brentford are going to leave the game, which they dominated so much, at 2-1. They were going to have to go and try and get a third because Brentford don't see out games. Swans see out games. Brentford don't. They, they need to just outscore the opposition. They would have opened up more. It would have left something. I'm not being a revisionist. I'm not looking at it thinking that we were robbed. Anything but that. Um, but any faint hope that you may have been in the stands for the first 10 minutes of the second half was gone. I can't blame the ref. Uh, don't really blame Fulton. It was an accident and no one got a chance to look at it back. So, um, but I think, I think Steve thinks perhaps um, it was a, it was more rash than me. Well, Steve, what do you think? Do you think VAR would have overturned it? I don't think it would have. No, I, th- I think Fulton's definitely unlucky. And obviously he's caught the back of um, of the foot, and then that's obviously taken his legs up. It'll, it would be deemed, I think, as being out of control. I think he's unlucky. There's, he hasn't meant to do it at all, but I don't think that's going to get rescinded, um, like via VAR, if I'm honest. And it sort of just um, rounded off a bad day, really. That's how I looked at it. I mean, we we had done a little bit better in the second half. Um, I don't think we were coming back, and then that obviously meant that we were definitely not coming back. So, yeah, just uh, another moment to forget, really. Yeah, uh, from from my point of view, I mean, I, I think everybody had the same reaction when they first saw it. I, I thought Fulton had lost his mind. I thought he absolutely snapped um, because it looked to me like he'd just flown in two-footed, you know. And that's uh, what the uh, ref would have seen get to as well. Yeah, yeah obviously. I, I don't think anybody can blame the referee for that. It looked... Like Goka Pintado's tackle on Robbie Savage. That's what it, that's what it reminded me of because he just went flying in like totally out of proportions. When you look at the replay, you can see he's he stood on I think it was Jensen's um, heel, and and that kind of made him lose his balance and his momentum has taken him into Jensen then, and it looks shocking in in real time. But when you do slow it down and see, you can see that it is just a freak accident. Having said that. I don't think VAR is is ever likely to overturn that kind of decision because, I mean, if you look at the rules, that you know it, it it makes it clear. Well, it, the the problem is the rules don't make it clear. The rules just say if if you are endangering the safety of an of an opponent, then that that's a red card. Now, I I think one of the big things we've seen with v, since VAR has come in is that the rules are just so the rules of football, which have always been so vague. And so open to interpretation mm. are totally just useless in the VAR era. I, th- I think, and, and that kind of wording, just endangering the opponent uh, uh, and the safety of an opponent, it's so open to interpretation. But but there is nothing in that wording that allows you, I think, to overturn that decision because 
there was a danger to Jensen's situation. His Achilles tendon could have easily snapped there. He could have easily broken his ankle. He could have, anything could have happened that, uh, that in that situation. It was dangerous, even though it was a total accident. And, 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 and Fulton was, in my opinion, just totally not at fault. I mean, I've, I've seen people saying, oh, he's, he's rushed in carelessly. I, d- I don't think that's a, I, I think that's being harsh on Fulton, if I'm being honest. He, you know, because because yeah. 999 times out of a thousand, it doesn't result in that kind of challenge. It, the it, thing is, Gitto, and this is the only this is the only umbrage I take with that. Um, the the rules and the interpretation of them is I get where it says if it's dangerous, he needs to go. If it endangers, and that includes stuff like leading with the arm. That includes stuff like high boot. Yeah, if you're if you're putting this, even if there's minimal contact, if you're endangering the safety of an op- opponent, then yes, you have to look at it black and white and say that is a red card offence. Fulton has, has gone to plant his foot on the ground. In, in football, that's generally what you do several thousand times a game. And they've crossed paths um, and, 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 and he's gone to plant his foot. And he's, he's, he's trod on the back. I mean, it happens countless times in a game where players clip heels or you know someone stands on another player's foot while they're going to challenge for the same ball at the end of the day um it is it is a contact sport and it's not as if Fulton has gone to bring down the ball at think Nani in a Champions League final for for Man United 10 years ago whatever it was um where his his foot is out of in in midair and you're thinking right yes he could have really hurt a player there what could Fulton have done? I really struggle to see when he's trying to when the player runs across his path, and he's accidentally stood on the back of his ankle. Is there anything there which is unnatural? Is there anything there which is deemed to be out of control, or, or anything that you could say that's dangerous play? Well, it's completely fluke. It's completely accidental, and 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 Fulton, and it would happen a hundred times over again. Um, and, Maybe he wouldn't have overturned then, but perhaps I'd like to think VAR would have at least asked Chris Kavanagh to look at it on the monitor. Yeah, probably, but I, I, I I've not, especially the way VAR is used these days. I wouldn't really have much, um, much, <laughs> yeah. and um, and you know the club have chosen not to appeal it, which I think you know speaks volumes. I think they they know that. You know, if for it for you to win the appeal, you need to you need to prove that it's a clear refereeing yeah. error, and and yeah. I just don't think you can prove. I think the bar's too high, and um, unfortunately, as a result of that, Fulton is going to miss the first um, three games of next season. He's really unlucky in that respect, but um, it's one of the things. One is one of these things, and it kind of summed up the day really because nothing really went Swansea's way. It, it was just everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong, and. Um, Performance-wise, I know you said you know that it was a great day out, etc. But um, performance-wise, I think there was uh, there was a, a huge gulf in quality between um, Brentford and Swansea, and I don't think anybody could possibly argue that the better team went up. Brentford finished seven points ahead of us in the table. Um, they were um, considerably better on the day. They've got a better squad. They they just they've been knocking on that door for ages. It was their time to go up, and um, I don't think anybody can really begrudge them that. They they I, deserve it hands am down. Am I right in saying Ghetto that in the top <laughs> divisions which have playoffs, um, the the team that finished top in the playoffs all got promoted? Yeah, I believe I, I saw so. that somewhere. Yeah, sorry. Blackpool. I don't think Blackpool did, did they? I thought I think it was false. Oh, I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure about League One, but um, Morecambe definitely finished um, finished uh, fourth in in um, in League Two, which was obviously the next the next position below the automatic spots. If you want to talk about you know, Blackpool finished third, top of the playoffs. Oh, All there right, we go. there we go. Then you are right. There we so, go. I mean, in that sense, justice was served throughout the leagues <laughs> this year. In a, in another sense, justice definitely wasn't served if, for if anybody watched the League Two playoff final. I mean, we've we've all agreed, kind of, oh, Brentford deserved to go up. We just didn't compete on the day, etc. It was a very different case in uh, in their playoff. I mean, that mm. was the kind of result that's going to sting for an entire year. That's and that um, is one that, where you will blame the ref repeatedly oh, yeah. and for a year. <laughs> and, and let's face it, there isn't an easier ref to blame than Rob Maidley. Um, yeah. What yeah. A, what a shocker he had. Um, but let's uh, let's leave the playoff uh, final where it belongs in the past. Um, let's move on and and discuss and look at the season as a whole because the Swans. You know, reached that final game of the season, um, came up short, definitely. Um, but how are we going to look back at this season in years to come, do you think, Steve? Um, I suppose it'll always be the the funny season, really, where we, don't, we haven't made many memories as fans, if you know what I mean, because pretty much all of us have probably done the exact same thing for every game. I've like, turned on the laptop or... You know the the dodgy box or something like that to to watch and, and probably watch in general <laughs> with the, the same person than us. You know I've watched a handful of games in the pub before like the the lockdown and, and stuff like that. But yeah, it's it's not going to be a season anyone looks back on with a great deal of fondness. I think even though of course we we haven't done badly in terms of results or anything like that. But let's be honest about it. I mean we we all just want to get back to going, don't we? I mean I I certainly do anyway. Yeah, I mean, like usually you look back at like massive games and you think, ah, oh, what what an atmosphere that was, what what an amazing, you know, like noise you had. And this time, Matt, the only noise we had was like Wyndham Evans shrieking in our ears. You know, it wasn't. Yeah. It was, they, and that that is going to take away from our memories of of what has actually on paper been a very 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 successful season, isn't it? Yeah, it's um. It's instantly forgettable, isn't it? I mean, you you have football is about emotions and feelings, and you remember, um, you remember the Leeds game at the Liberty with Jason Scotland. Uh, you remember moments and feelings and passion and celebrations and just that buzz you get. And it happens. Well, it did it even happen at all? Was there any moment where you really had a rush, a rush of blood to the head this season? It was. Um, it was like what I imagine a lot of South Wales-based Man United fans feel like every week, where they just have to watch them on the TV or watch the highlights on a Saturday night and and try and find some sort of excitement out of it. Because I, I can't see um, I can't see football being enjoyable in 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 this manner. And um, you know, it, it is what it is because of the the the, the, the global pandemic. But um, I've already you know I got over. The, the Brentford defeat before we'd even left the stadium, to be honest with you. And um, it felt much like that throughout the season. Uh, my mood wasn't determined by the Swans result because I was never as invested in it this year um, as I would have been in every other year. Uh, it would have ruined my weekend. Then this time it was simply turn off the TV and get on with your day. Um, but there were moments in the season where we could have done more. Of course, we had that period where we were... Um, mathematically able to leapfrog Norwich and, and go to the top of the table with our games in hand um, and, and Cooper will look back on that with uh, with some sense of regret I'm sure because um, 
automatics were uh, were well within our reach. Um, but like we said at the top of the podcast, really, it though there was never any sense of uh, of of destiny. There was never a sense of injustice about us not getting the top two or or us potentially. Um, Why was that? Do you think what what was it that made it kind of feel like? Because we, you know, we've said on 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 several occasions, especially in the second half of the season, like it, it felt at times as though um, the Swans have kind of been imposters in the in the top six. Yeah. Um, which actually, I think, looking back at the season as a whole, is is quite unfair. But it has felt like that at times. And what, why do you think that is? I think you just. I think we. Of course, we were spoiled over the last ten years or so. But but also a sense of. There was never a sense of um, when we okay. Let's take it back a few years when we got relegated. I remember the podcast we did in the summer of that relegation, and we, I, I'm pretty sure, universally agreed that we would take a few years down in the championship to reset, rebuild, and come back. And we didn't expect to come back like Brennan Rogers style come back. Although it looked on the cards at times under Graham Potter where we thought, here we go, we feel like we, we've got our identity back here. It was about enjoying football again. It was about getting back to what it was like before the final three years in the Premier League. It was about looking forward to going there, uh, being entertained, feeling proud of watching the way your team are being brave, on the ball and off the ball, expressive, winning games in style. Um, and it wasn't just about, I mean, there is a there is a sense of um, uh, there is a is a sense of pride sometimes in winning ugly if you can't win and we talked about this if you cannot can't win pretty then then win ugly but only if you can't win pretty pretty winning ugly should never be your your you know your your, your first go to and and that happened all too often for me it never felt like we um, we deserved or, or or bossed things and so often this season we turned around and said how how have we come out of that with anything. So, um, yeah, you know, maybe in a sense, over times we felt like we've we've maybe gone a bit overboard with our criticism and how how we've labelled uh, ourselves as imposters and frauds and and shit houses and stuff like that. But um, but at the same time, there was never at any point in the season a sense of you know we deserve this. We talked about we could do it. We talked about the the way we were so solid at the back. And, um, and and nicking results from our only shots on target and stuff were um, was a was a fantastic trait to have, but it wasn't entertaining. It wasn't enjoyable to watch. It was akin to um, when John Harlins uh, would uh, took us up from Division Three, and you know the, the the North Bank were whistling from the 60th minute onwards for the final whistle because you just knew it was one nil and that's where it was going to finish, and it did so often and. Um, and and Cooper Swans was 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 quite uh, you know it, it was quite reminiscent of that sort of football. Um, it was effective. Can't argue with that. Two playoffs in in two years is uh, is a is a great turnaround. But um, but yeah, it's um, looking ahead, looking at the financial struggles now of us coming out of parachute payments, losing our best player. And several more, several of our best players, if you consider the loans returning as well, then um, who can say that Cooper would be able to do anything this season resembling that? I think we'd be more concerned about the other end of the table um, because we had um, 
we had very strong loanies that um, that took us over the line and uh, eighty thousand pound a week uh, attack who um, who could produce moments of magic. We won't have them this time round. Um, we'll, get, we'll get on to discuss like yeah. future next season a bit, but before before that, I mean, Steve, just to finish off, kind of looking back at the season, we, I mean, we we finished the season with eighty points. Um, when you know we we've only ever beaten that points total on two occasions in in the club's history. Um, you know, we we were in the automatic, the race for the automatics until the the final weeks of the season. Um, had one of the best defences in the division. Um, there were only 10 games all season where we didn't find the back of the net, um, which, you know, only two teams in the entire championship did better than that. Um, I mean, you know, where, where does it rank, I guess, in, in, in compared to other Swansea City seasons? Um, it's a good question, isn't it? Because, I mean, as you said, the, the football wasn't great and we seemed to think that we were in this false position, but... Obviously, you look at the league table, and it's, you'd have to say it's been successful. So you feel a little bit conflicted, really. Um, obviously, you have to say we did very well with, you know, the pool of players that we had in terms of results. I don't quite know at times how we did manage to pull it off, but we did. Um, yes, yeah, obviously, it's been one of the. And I don't know how, how can you put it, really? I mean, we've had nine seasons in the top flight, and you think, well. Other than that, we had the, the twice where we have gone into the, the top division. We finished third in this division. So, you know, there's probably only been about 10 higher finishes in our entire history. So, it's difficult to be critical in terms of our overall league position. But, I mean, at the same time, it, it'll, it's not going to go down as a classic, is it, if we're, we're being honest? I mean, you know, it was never going to be because we couldn't go anyway. But if, if we were in there for a lot of those games, would we have enjoyed a lot of them? I'm really not convinced if I'm... Uh, Honestly, I'm actually quite surprised there are only 10 games we didn't score in because, you know, there's a lot of games where we didn't create a lot, isn't there? And we seem to find the goal. That That is a surprising stat, isn't it? Um, I mean, the, well, a couple of those um, games where we just managed to find a goal out of nowhere were uh, down to uh, one man um, more than any other. That was uh, Andre Ayew, who's... Uh, Led the line for most of the season, um, and uh, you know over the past two years has has been a really big player here. Um, I mean, Steve, he's he's not going to be a next season. Uh, we always knew that promote a failure to get promotion would mean that he would uh, that he would leave us. I mean, what what do you think is his legacy now that he moves on? It's another tough question, that really. I mean, you look at you know the, the transfer as a whole, and you'd have to say it's it's been a bad one. If we're, we're being honest, um, obviously he was signed to keep us up, which he he didn't really make a great contribution to and didn't score a single goal. Then he's left for a year. He's come back then and, and played two seasons here. But, I mean, if we'd gone up uh, through the playoffs this season, you'd probably have to say that we'd, it's a transfer that we'd sort of got away with. But, you know, it, it's it's stung us a lot, hasn't it? I mean, let, let's be honest about it. We would have loved to have got rid of him, probably, ever since we'd gone down. We'd have loved to have someone to have come in and paid a few quid and taking those wages off the books. And that's the main reason that he has stayed, really, is that nobody obviously made us the type of offer that we were looking for. So, you know, it's a funny one. I mean, I'm not going to be too critical of AU because the fact is it's not his fault that we paid stupid money for him and then offered him a a huge contract either. I think he he performed admirably. He he did his best and he has been one of our best players over the last couple of years. But, I mean, in terms of it being money well spent, though, you'd have to say absolutely not. I'll be honest, uh, like 
this may be an unpopular opinion, but I, I think it's it still goes down as one of the worst transfers in our history, and there is a lot of competition for that title. Um, because I I just still find the fact that we spent twenty million quid on him, promised him eighty thousand pound a week in in the situation that we were in back then. I mean, what a panic signing! What a ridiculous panic signing that was. Um, obviously, didn't score a goal for us in the Premier League after he returned. Um, and while he's, uh, you know, played a vital role over the last two years and, um, you know, nobody can question his effort. I mean, he's always been one of the um, the hardest workers on the pitch and, and his quality has um, stood out at times in the championship. I, it still doesn't come close really to compensating for how much we've spent on him over the past uh, over the past few years, and um, when you look at you know the financial troubles that, that that kind of signing, and that signing in particular, I think because the rest that we we were able to kind of get rid of them, that one we just could not get rid of, and it it just hampered us so badly, even with Ayu you know doing very well in the championship. Um, so unfortunately, despite his you know incredible contribution, I still think you know that his his lasting legacy will be that of. A, a player who you know just just the the deal itself just just handcuffed us for 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 years um and and will still do if i'm being honest because it's it's after effect is still going to be felt um i mean matt moving on from iu um he's going but another player who's not going to be coming back is mark a um how much of a loss is he going to be and and what do you think the does the future hold for mark a how far can he go in the game it's up to him, isn't it, really? I don't think there's anything stopping him from being an England centre-back in, in the next couple of years. Um, he's He's got everything about this game, isn't he? He's so composed for his age as well. And we've talked about, you know, we can compare him to Ben Cabango, who, um, who is a beast in the air. But we've always said Cabango is not in the same league because he doesn't have that composure about him. When the ball's on the floor... Cabango isn't the most, you know, resolute, and he he can lose it and and, and get caught out. Um, it doesn't really happen with Gay. He certainly didn't happen since the first lockdown. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's the same person as the player we had before lockdown, because um, <laughs> he was a uh, he was a disaster before that, and um, looked like a horrendous signing. Uh, but he he's obviously come on like unrecognisably uh, in that time now, and he's um. Yeah, uh, you know, he didn't get in the team of the year, did he? I think he missed out, which is mad, isn't it? Unbelievable. Um, and, I, I'm, and I've seen a lot of uh, respected uh, championship podcasts and, uh, and, and and Twitter accounts and whatnot um, gobsmacked at that decision um, simply because they rate him as, you know, one of the top three players in the league. So to miss out on the team of 11 is, is, is baffling. But he... I think his future will hold a, a Premier League or, or a foreign loan this year, but it'll be to a top the top team. It'll be to um, you know, it'll be a mid mid table Premier League team or, or or a top league foreign team, whether that be in Germany or whatever. Chelsea like to send their players out on loan until um, until they're absolutely sure. And um, until and they can see, like, basically, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they they hold they they corner the market. They hold players and they they try and. Um, they, they 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 do because they got a choice then, haven't they? They can either keep developing Gehi and another big team and and get him um, pushing for uh, for major honours um, with whoever team he's with, 
or um, and they can choose then to bring him into the team or sell him for big bucks, as they often do with it with with some of the young talent as well. Um, so they you know they, they hold all the cards in that respect, and um, he's going to be a huge huge loss because we already look um, so much more vulnerable without him there. Um, in in the sense of when you look at the team, what the team potentially will be next year. Um, and, uh, you know, he offered that, um, you know, he's one of the first names on the team sheet, if not the first name. So, um, but good luck to him. I mean, he's got everything going for him. You know, he spoke well. He was very humble and very uh, appreciative of what Swansea had done for him and his career. And, uh, you know, we'll all keep an eye out for him because, because um, you you know, I, I'm sure that, you know, barring a travesty, he will get caps because he's just so mature ahead of his age and um and he's he's just a fantastic all-round player and just not scared of having the ball which is which is what you need your defenders to do these days don't you i know i, I mean there are times this season where it's looked like there are two mark he's on the pitch that he he just he just does the work of two men he's an absolutely sensational talent and um I think he goes back to Chelsea a better player, a much better player than when uh, when he arrived uh, at the Liberty uh, a year and a half ago. Um, those two are leaving. Uh, we know that for sure. Steve, do you think we're going to be looking for a new manager as well as uh, replacements for those two star players? That's a tough one to answer, isn't it? At the moment, it's it certainly doesn't sound like it's I'm, like we should be convinced that he's going to stay. I think um, the impression I'm getting really is that. I think we'll look at it from a contract point of view. He's got one year left. I mean, a manager who finishes sixth and fourth, really, you'd want to try and time down with new to um, to another contract or, or some. Well, because you'd look at that and say, well, he's he's done very well. But and there's been no talk of that really, is there? There's been nothing in the press from you know the the chairman or anything saying something along the lines of, look, where. We're really pleased with how things have gone. We'll be sitting down discussing a new contract, this type of thing. This, there's, there's been nothing. So, do you, case, what, I mean, do you want this to offer him a new contract? Um, no, if I'm honest, because <laughs> it, as harsh as it sounds, I know the, this is such a funny one, isn't it? But our style of play my, makes my eyes bleed. We're, we're so bad. Like, it's just too much long balls. We don't go forward enough. Where. You know, we don't try and create chances. We just try and sit deep and try and steal goals. It's, it's worked so well, but I just don't think that'll work long term. I, I I don't like watching. I I honestly believe that if there'd been a crowd in there this season, there'd have been a lot of booing. I'm not saying that's necessarily right, but you know, I I think we need to change our our style of play. I mean, we've it has worked the last couple of years, you'd have to say, but I just don't think it will long term. I. I've, We've got to get back to playing possession football, um, from my point of view. I mean, the crowd will always forgive more, I think, if you try and play the right way. I think the way that we've been playing, if the results dry up like they did around, um, I think, well, I suppose it was around Easter time when we lost. Um, yeah. It was four on the trot without scoring, yeah. which makes that stat you said that only 10 times we failed to score all season mad because it was four in a row where we didn't score. Yeah, I, I mean, know. there was a lot of people fuming after that because of just how badly we've been playing. And it does show you that basically you put a lot of pressure on yourself when the football is ugly, that if you don't win, there's nothing to be positive about. So, yeah, I, I think I, Cooper needs to change. Or should we say uh, if Crystal Palace or someone wants to come in and take him, then um, no problem by me. Well, that, that's the thing, Matt. Crystal Palace, um, 
it seems if uh, if well, it seems now they've uh, their, their first choice, uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, has uh, um, has has pulled out of that deal, um, or Palace have pulled out for whatever reason. That that seems to have broken down. Um, so all of a sudden, the the rumours are rife again. The the Cooper may be on their radar. I mean. You know, it it seems mad, but there are you know. I I take it you're in 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 Steve's camp that that you wouldn't mind if if he left. Or well, are you in the camp that you wouldn't mind if he left, or are you in the camp where you actually want him to leave? I want him to leave. Yeah. Um. Because I don't see. I mean, I, I had this conversation with with a few of my mates last year. Um. When I said I'm not anti Cooper. Don't. Please don't think I'm am. I'm anti Cooper's football. And there was a period where his football improved. And I said, well, here we go. I'm all for it. Is the football is getting better. And there was a few games. Oh, I couldn't even pin, pin down which ones they were. I think I'm talking about last season now. Um, where we actually played some really nice football. And you just thought, yeah, if Cooper's happy and, 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 and this is how he wants to play going forward. I'm Cooper in. I'm bloody carry on. Keep it going. You know, I was singing him in the stands. But... I'm not anti-Cooper. I'm anti-Cooper's fallback football, and that's the way um, he's played it again for most of this season. Um, he seems to... Um, it, it, its results be all and end all. And, and it, it's, it's kind of like... I don't know. He just seems like he tries to pull the wall a bit at the end of the game when we can win, like... 1-0, like, three, four games in a row. And the first thing you'll say in the post-match conference is... Well, you know, it wasn't the way we wanted to play, but we keep playing it. I do. You're not doing anything. It's not as if, you, you know, you you always seem to use that excuse. It's not the way we want to play, but nothing has changed. Nothing has felt like this is progressive because it isn't. It isn't progressive in the slightest. Um, Palace are, are cock teasing us a bit at the moment, don't they? They need to just get on with it now and um, and 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 bring in Cooper because um, we need we. I want us to. I want us to move um, forward and and get a manager in soon. Uh, get a manager in soon who wants to play the way we want to, to play football. I want us to play exciting football again. I want us to enjoy turning up at the stadium when we can and um, look forward to it again. Uh, there's just nothing really um, left in the tank, I don't think. Uh, I think Cooper's going to find it very difficult this year if he stays not just because of the lack of options you'll have, even though we we'll probably bring in some replacements, you'd have to argue he'd do well to get them to the quality and calibre of the ones he's going to lose. Um, and, and and more besides, maybe Grimes and Connor Roberts as well on some on some short lists elsewhere, so you'd have to wonder if they're going to be here next year. But, but, but not just that, but also in this whole saga, um, it's been a wall of silence, Gitto, really. You know, he, he did come out and uh, yesterday, I think it was, and speak to the the, the media team about um, his thoughts on the playoff final and stuff. And, you know, we go again and all that rubbish. But um, the fact of the matter, as Steve pointed out, is he's gone into his final year of his contract. Now, for me, there's only two way that, ways that happens. The first way is the club aren't really pushing for it. They you know they're happy to see what he's doing and whatnot, but not really keen to tie him down for a long deal because they're still unsure that this is how he wanted to be long term. Or B, he's made it clear that he's not interested in renewing. Either one of those options doesn't bode well for a Steve Cooper third season. If the club aren't really keen, or he isn't keen, 
then then the, 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 the link needs to be broken. Um, the Palace links have been lingering. The fact that there's rumours that he's had um, he'd had two interviews by uh, a couple of days after the playoff final, which suggests that at least one of them had to happen before. They aren't confirmed, but they haven't been denied either. I mean, no one's come out and rubbished the rumours. So it just says, says to me, sometimes you can read a lot more ghetto into what's not being said than what's actually being said. And no one's coming out and rubbishing rumours right now. Um, and it's intense media speculation. This isn't me scouring the, the dark web for some Steve Cooper stories. I mean, it's everywhere. Uh, so I'm getting a few flashbacks to the Paulo Souza situation where the club will probably put on a face of, you know, Cooper's done great and we're very sad to lose him, but maybe perhaps behind closed doors um, are, are looking forward to a fresh start. I may be completely off, off the mark here, but those are the vibes I'm getting. There are a lot of Paulo Sousa comparisons with uh, with Steve Cooper in more ways than one, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, Steve, I finished this off. I, I mean, I've seen quite a few um, tweets and stuff over the last week and a half. People saying, oh, that the, this was kind of our last chance to go up to the playoffs. And with kind of um, parachute payments coming to an end, players like IU and Gay um, certainly leaving and, and possibly a few others. Um, you know, whether or whether or not Steve Cooper st- stays or goes, um, that people are saying it, they just can't see Swansea replicating what they've done this season next year. And people just think, we, you know, that a playoff push is, is pretty much out of the question. Are you in that camp or do you think there is a potential for us to um, to replicate what we've done this year? I mean, this league is unpredictable, so... I mean, you could you could never fully rule it out because I think we I certainly wasn't expecting us to do as well as we did this year. But I mean, if you're looking at it from you know an opinion right now, I would say that yeah, I I I don't think that we will be pushing for the playoffs. But I mean, Barnsley, I suppose, are the good example. I mean, nobody would have predicted them, would they, to have been in there and um and obviously they had a great season and and finished fifth. So. It is uh, there is an element of unpredictability about this league, which is one of the reasons why I I quite like it. It's uh, you know because you know the prem it's it is incredibly predictable in general, really, isn't it? Um, I can't say that going back into it excited me massively. It was more about the money and sorting our finances out. So yeah, I I would say as as things stand, we're pro- probably more likely to be looking at you know towards mid table, maybe bottom half. You know, as things stand, but I mean, there's a long way to go, isn't it, to um, the start of uh, next season? So I'm sure we'll be able to make a more realistic uh, opinion around then. Yeah, uh, from my point of view, well, you know, just as things stand right now, I, I, I think next season looks at the moment like it could be quite an an even um, um, contest across the board. Um, yeah. I mean, last year you had the likes of Norwich, Watford, and um, Bournemouth coming down. None of them really had any time to lose their best players. They um, so they were left with pretty much the same squads as they came down with, and instantly they had a major advantage over everyone else. When you look at the teams coming down this season, Sheffield United have had a dreadful season, uh, and and you know they they they're going through a massive change at the moment, managerial wise, etc. West Brom, I think, have been really poor, and I don't think their squad is as good as people thought it was when it went up last time. Um, and and then you've got Fulham, who have you know done slightly better possibly than than people expected when they went up. But 
I I still I'm still not sure if Scott Parker is that good a manager. Their squad is decent, but it's not. I think of the same caliber, say a Watford or even a Bournemouth that came down last time. So I think actually that the, 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 and, and a lot of teams in the Championship from this season have a lot of problems like that they need to sort out. So the Swans aren't alone in this situation where they're having to make some tough choices. They're having to adapt to difficult situations. So I, I think it's it's too early to say, oh, this is going to be a really you know horrible season next year. I think there is every chance that the Swans can make a good fist of it again and, and can put together another playoff push. If I'm Is being that honest. dependent on... Cooper, you you were happy for Cooper to stay, and and if he does stay, do you think we can make that playoff push, or do, do you think a new manager would give us the best opportunity? I'm very much in the I I would like Cooper to stay, but if he goes to Palace, I'm not going to you know shed any tears over it. Um, which is kind of how I felt with Sousa. I didn't want Sousa to leave. No, actually, I, I, that's a lie. I didn't want Sousa to leave. Full stop. I I I was disappointed when when Sousa left. I would be much less disappointed if, if Steve Cooper left. Um, but whenever a manager goes, it's all about who you bring in. You know, if, if we lose Cooper and we bring in Tony Pulis, then obviously that's that that's a, that's a bad trade. You know, um, if we, you know, lose Cooper and bring in the next Graham Potter, then that's a fantastic upgrade. You just don't know who Paul, the club's going to be. You are going to ruffle some feathers on Twitter, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Trund- is, you know, Trundler's not liking that tweet let me tell you now possibly not possibly not but let's face it you know it's 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 one of those things it's you know it's, I, only, I, it's I, only one of those two managers by the way that's being linked with Everton and Spurs jobs and it's <laughs> Steve Cooper just, just put, it, put it this way I I you know I don't think Steve Cooper is the next coming of of um Arrigo Sacchi or or you know or, or Pep Guardiola he is not he's not progressive is he is that no, I think that's where it is I think he's a good coach. I think he's done well for us. I think, you know, his contacts um, in the transfer market should not be underestimated. Um, he's really managed to make the most of, of what we've got in that department. Um, I don't think the football has always been that bad. I think we have played well, you know, aesthetically at times. Um, but the style isn't great. Let's not let's let's be fair, it's not. And I think we have probably had one more points this season than we deserved, even though we did deserve to finish in the top six, in my opinion. Um, I think he's done well with what he's got, but I don't think it's it's been a, a miracle either what he's achieved this season. I think there are managers out there who could have achieved what he's done with what what has been actually a, a good strong a good squad albeit one that, that he helped, you know, put together. So you have to give him credit for that. Um, yeah, basically, I, I, I like Cooper as a, as a man. Uh, I think he's done a good job on the whole here, but I, I, I wouldn't shed too many tears if if Do you know liked. my only what if, and he wasn't getting used enough before anyway, um, but my Jordan only Morris. what if is Jordan Morris. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when you look back at the way he did play in those games that he played, he looked like he had something to contribute, really. He looked like he had something different. The speed was something that we'd massively lacked. He he just terrified players with that. Um, he was so strong. strong as well. Yeah, he, he was strong. So strong. 
and and his his feet were good, but you know from from what I saw, he you yeah. know there was some, there was some real potential there, and and you know on a personal level, hopefully he will get over what was a a horrible injury and and you know go on to have a really good career. But it, there were I think there will always be a what if this season. What if he had been? But there were a couple of what ifs. I mean. The, especially in that January transfer window, if I'm being honest, what what if Ariola was actually fit when he got here? That's much less a what if, because obviously the club knew he was injured. But what if we had actually managed to get the best out of um, Conor Horahan? What if Morgan Gibbs-White had never been injured in the first place? And what if he'd never got back to Wolves? There are some mm-hmm. what ifs this season where you actually think, do you know what? If things had been different... Who knows? We may have even finished in the top two and and not needed the playoffs. You know, there are there are moments this season which, you know, could have gone either way, and um, they've they've had quite a, a definitive impact on our season, uh, unfortunately. Um, but but football's full of what ifs. You know, football's that that is football. It's a game very fine margins, and those fine margins can have a big impact on where you end up in a season. And um, in some ways. You know, luck has been on our side this season with certain results um, when performances probably haven't merited wins. In other respects, you know, luck hasn't been on our side because a couple of big transfers didn't go our way and, and, and in, in large part down to down to bad luck and, and nothing else, really. So it's I, I, I wouldn't read too much into it. Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to revise my earlier statement of what this season will be remembered for. And it would be making Neil Warnock's head fall off. Actually, I think that's how I remember this season. <laughs> really? So yeah, that 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 goes down as one of the um, the highlights. And it says a lot about this season, actually, that what, what some of our best moments have been moments where we have absolutely just shit hosed basically our way to to victories. Yeah. You know, you think about the penalty at Stoke, the penalty not not so much the penalty at Middlesbrough, but the way we won against Middlesbrough. Um, you know the, the 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 undeserved wins that we had, which really wound up opposition fans. Um, yeah, it's there have been Brentford got that the one all against Brentford at the Liberty. I mean, how undeserved can a point be? You know, it's it was um, yeah. There have been a lot of moments like that. I think we will look back at it um, with um, with fondness in that sense, at least. Um, right, we're leaving the Swans um, for the time being, and we will come back to discuss them again in weeks to come but now we shift our attention to international football and we've got a major tournament this summer in which Wales are involved for only the second time in our lifetime uh, only the third time ever the Wales are actually going to be in a major tournament um Steve are you looking forward to this tournament as much as you were to Euro 2016 no is the short answer and um, there's <laughs> a single person that was into football five years ago in Wales, that is looking forward to this more than they were in uh, 2016. I think the the phrase was would be kid at Christmas in 2016, especially for those that were going over to France. But um, obviously that little privilege has been denied to, um, to most of us now. So it feels a bit bittersweet because I was meant to be going to Azerbaijan and obviously, you know, with the whole uh, COVID situation, I'm not going. So it's going to be... A bit different this time. I feel a little bit like we're being robbed of, you know, going to uh, a tournament. But you know, it could be worse. The fact is, we at least have had it once. Hopefully, we'll have it again. And you look at the likes of Finland, who've never qualified for anything and have qualified for this, and you just think, 
must just be absolutely gutting that you've finally like achieved something. Scotland over the last 20 years as well. Yeah, that's uh, also, yeah, that's fair enough. But like Finland have never done it ever. And I'm yeah. assuming Macedonia must be the same as well. They've yeah. never done yeah. it. You think it's literally never happened. So it's like the biggest moment in, in their history, arguably for sport in that country. And they're not going to go. But yeah, for Scotland, it's a bit of a sickener as well. I mean, uh, I'm sure one or two of them will uh, find themselves at Wembley a week Friday, mind. Climbing on top of crossbars and uh, <laughs> demolishing them. If uh, uh, well, hopefully that's the case anyway, because that will mean that Scotland will have actually beaten England. Um, Matt, I mean, I'm going to keep comparing Euro 2016 to Euro 2021 because talking about Euro, <sighs> Euro 2020. Is... God, give it. It's a sorry, name. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Get with the get with the program. Um, UEFA they seem absolutely stubborn about not changing that. By the way, don't they? No, well, you you Rafa clearly didn't want to pay to reprint all the merchandise, did they? Um, I, I mean, Euro 2016, Wales reached the uh, the semi-finals. I mean, just totally exceeding all expectations. Mm. There are some who are saying that our squad this time around is actually better than that one. Do you do you agree with that opinion? No, no. I mean, our squad is talented, um, and. I actually have a bit of a better feeling about Rob Page than I would have under Ryan Giggs, I'll be honest. Um, but I made no secret of the fact I'm not a fan of Giggs. I think France, um, like much in the same way, we, we, I was talking about Brendan Rodgers, Swansea in 2011. I think France was a bit of like a perfect storm um, in that obviously the competition was being played just over the just over the water. So, you know, with this opportunity, it wasn't like, you know, if, if we were able to go to stadiums now and it was being played in Azerbaijan and whatnot, and it would still require limited numbers and the all-round experience wouldn't quite be there, whereas France was incredible for all the reasons. You could just go there and party and, and, and everything was just in, in the feel-good factor was off the scale. Um, and, and the players, there was a genuine feeling of party time and, and appreciation and leave everything there. Um, I just felt like it wasn't all necessarily to do with the individual talent. I think the together stronger mantra never meant more to Wales than it did there at that moment when you had 11 players on the pitch who individually weren't as talented as the opposition in some games, but collectively were an absolute beast. And and, and the management team as well, Chris Coleman and that, um, were just encapsulating everything that was so good about Wales at the time. You just felt like the spirit could take us over the line. And that's what something we haven't been able to perhaps replicate since. But the feeling that, um, you know, you had the likes of Chris Gunter teeing up with Gareth Bale, you know, the most expensive British player in history. I just felt such a weird circumstance where these players were playing on a par and um, as well as each other. Um, the difference is the unity, the together stronger, the fact that you felt like as a team we could do anything. Um, and this is from, I was just chuffed we scored a goal against Slovakia. I thought, I've seen us score a goal. And uh, it went from strength to strength from there, really. And every time you know, a game came and went, you just felt a little bit more like this is an absolutely su- such a special team, such a special unit. Absolutely. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Um, okay, let's let's move to the the present day, Steve. Um, I mean, Wales's form since qualifying, it's it's not been 
sensational, I would say, although we've only lost three games and they were against England, Belgium and France. There have been a lot of 1-0 wins, a lot of um, very kind of cagey matches where we haven't created many chances, um, where it's been very defensive. It's basically been Steve Cooper football, hasn't it? I was going to say, are you talking about the Swans or are you talking about Wales then? Um, yeah, it's Wales are a funny one as well, aren't they? I mean, they've, we are experts at not conceding many goals. Although I remember to talk about one of the defeats there, the England game, friendly uh, as all it was, I know. But defensively, we were so bad in that game. I just maybe think we've come up against someone half decent. We look like a bit of a shambles. But yeah, we like you look at the most recent game, competitive game anyway, against the Czechs, and I didn't think we played particularly well in that one. But we smashed a sneak a goal, and then she took a big block from Joe Roden at the end to help us get over the line. But our, our record is amazing, really. I mean, we're as you say, I mean, we kept so many clean sheets. Been the masters of the one 0 win, but not created a lot. But I suppose my my major concern is going to be for Wales go, going forward. Really, um, I don't know why we're not playing with a striker. I mean, yeah. Kiefer Moore, from my point of view, should be in the team. I think he has caused a lot of issues for the opposition when he has played, and I just think we need that focal point. I swear, so, Rob Page is the only person who who like understands why why Kiefer Moore isn't starting. Like it's the one thing that unites Swansea and Cardiff fans is that we think Kiefer Moore should definitely start every single game, which is weird. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um well, I remember he played that game away in Slovakia. Um it's probably about eighteen months ago now I was at that game. And when I saw that he was starting, I was quite surprised. But then when I watched him play, I mean, the amount of havoc he caused by winning it in the air, and obviously he did score the goal for us. It was like, you know, this guy gives us something that little bit different. Like we've got all these nice players, we've got this pace and everything. But then I'm not saying I want us to go long necessarily, but we do have that option then. And also we can we can score from crosses with it. So I I really do just think it works. And I, I don't understand why he's not been playing. It's a, it's a strange one. I'm not, I know he did play a couple of the games at the start of the Nations League, but even... I think since Page took over from Giggs temporarily, I mean, Moore hasn't been playing, and I, I don't get it because we're not offering much of a threat. But once he comes on, we do look like a, a better side, and it seems to suit us better. So, yeah, I, I don't get Page's uh, thinking there, although it could have been from Ryan Giggs originally as well. So, but either way, I I think he should be in the team. There's there's no two ways about it for me. I mean, if we're going to be looking to carry any sort of threat, it's going to be uh, we're going to be a better side if he's playing. I'll be honest, like, this is my rant. I think false nine in every single possible, like, scenario is a load of nonsense. I really do. I think it's it's total trash. I think it is the system you play when you don't have good strikers. I mean, Man City have played it quite a few times this season. Um, they did it against PSG in the semi-final, and they, they got a great result away against PSG. But you can't tell me that if they had a prime... Sergio Aguero in the team or or any other kind of decent striker in the team that he would not have made that team better. You know, the fa- the fact that you're playing with an extra midfielder as a striker doesn't make you a better team. I mean, it reminds me of the kind of tactics that we used to play under kind of I think we did a bit in the Guidel and Bob Bradley and Clement when you'd have like Sigurdsson playing as a striker because the likes of Bolcher and Llorente weren't scoring, you know. It was the system you play when your striker just isn't performing and you just get a bit desperate really that's that's the scenario in which you play um a false nine because 
it it just doesn't make sense. If you've got a decent striker, you you don't choose to play a false nine. It just makes zero sense. It makes you, it's miserable to watch because it makes it just it, it weakens you so much. You have these crosses going into the box. You can dominate possession. You can dominate territory. But as soon as that ball goes in the box, chances are nobody's going to be on the end of it. It's an awful awful idea in my opinion. Sorry, that's rant over there. No, I'm to be, I agree completely with that. I I think it's complete nonsense. It annoyed yeah. me when Spain won Euro 2012 by playing with this false nine thing. Because, like I say, I mean, if you've got a decent striker, there's just no need to to go down this route, is there? So, yeah, I, I think that's uh, spot on. It actually annoys me when it works. Yeah, exactly. I, do, I don't want to see Aaron Ramsey or, or Harry Wilson leading the line for Wales. I'm sorry, I just don't. Uh, I mean, but Matt, I mean, we, we've spoken there about the fact that Wales... Um, you know, aren't as good going forward. Um, we have been struggling to create chances, struggling to score. But the other day I was thinking, why is that the case? Because when you look at it on paper, our attack should be by far our biggest strength. We've got, you know, Gareth Bale, who's had, you know, when he's played this season, has been hugely dangerous for Spurs, you know, scoring and assisting. You've got Kiefer Moore, who I think has scored 20 goals for Cardiff this season, the first player to do that in God knows how many years. And, you know, he just wins headers against whoever he plays against. You've got Aaron Ramsey there, who is now fit, and we know what a fantastic player he can be. On top of that, you've got a player like Harry Wilson, who can score nowhere if you like. And key player for me is Dan James, because I know he divides opinion among Man United fans, but the boy has pace. And if you, we saw in the, in the you know, first 20 minutes against France the other night, that if you play a ball over the top, even the best defenders are going to struggle if you're asking them to compete in a race against Dan James. And that that is a bit of a secret weapon for us. And he always does play well for Wales. So when you look at all those players together, you, you're surely thinking, well, well, surely the one thing this team should be able to do is is offer a goal-scoring threat. But that's at times been, been a real struggle over the last two years. Yeah, I, I hope it. I hope it comes. I hope it comes together now, um, on the weekend because it, it does feel like that there's just there's no parts missing to the puzzle. It's just trying to make them fit um, the most effectively that they can. The players you mentioned all offer some excitement. They all offer some, um, well, an immense amount of talent up there. Particularly, you know, when you talk about going forward. You know, we are, you know, for a Welsh perspective, we have got a bit of a, you know, a wealth of riches up there in comparison to, to recent times. But, um, you know, we aren't quite getting it right. And I agree with both your previous points with, 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 with Kiefer Moore. Um, I see him as more that more of a more than a target man because I think he's a great link option as well, and he's um he's not shabby with his, he's not too shabby with his feet either. You know he's uh he's, this is um, by far the most compliments we've ever given to a Cardiff player on this podcast. Yeah, let's, let's temper this by saying let's temper this. But if say if if we had a bag of shit and put it in a Welsh shirt and he played for Cardiff, Cardiff fans would say that he should be starting every game anyway because um. That's what Cardiff fans do, don't they? They they just. Uh, but Kiefer Moore is actually a good player, um, so he's um, in his own right is on merit deserves to be in there. Um, and I think you know his goal scoring record in the championship this season was great. You know he's he can't argue with his his season's form, um, and he is different. You know I rate him far higher than someone like Tyler Roberts. 
um, who has not convinced me ever that he can score goals. Um, I think when you look at the options up front, what you need is a foil. You need someone that brings the likes of Harry Wilson and Gareth Bale and the like into play and give them the license to get into it. And Aaron Ramsey has been missing far too often. He's picked up the uh, Ryan Giggs syndrome of missing international football and playing for uh, his club team on the following weekend. But, um, you know, hopefully kids are self-fit and kids stays fit for the tournament um, because he's huge because he, he obviously is the difference. He's the link man between midfield and the front two or three. Um, but you need a foil. You need someone to be able to drag players off the 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 ones who you'd hope to you know dazzle a bit of magic and Kiefer Moore can be that guy he can occupy defenders he can occupy center halves and um you know bring others into play and I think that's the difference between him and um and and some other options you talk about the false nine I agree with you I, I think it's something to be used if you're struggling, but we've only started really struggling since trying to adopt that way of playing. So I think you go back to what you know will work, and that's playing a striker up there, someone who can win flick-ons, knock it down, um, score from crosses and corners. Um, he's a far more mobile and able version of, of Sam Vokes to me. He's, he's someone who's actually going to be able to cause problems on the deck and in the air. Um, he's and, got the mobility uh, which Sam Vokes didn't really have... Well, that's have, it, isn't it? Yeah. That's it. I mean, Vox has done his part over the years in a Wales shirt, but I think Kiefer Moore is more of a rounded foot player. He, he offers something in all aspects. Um, you know, he, he can he can cause damage, whatever the situation, but it's for me, it's it's that he can do that on his own, but also his, his stature allows him to be the nuisance which gives Gareth Bale that extra yard. Or, or you know the likes of Dan James, you know if he brings the ball down in you know in the in, in the opposition half and, and knocks the ball out wide for Dan James, all of a sudden Dan James is running at the at, running at the full back forty yards from goal with an acre of space in behind him, and you just know he's going to get round him, yeah. And then Kiefer Moore's in the box, Dan James can get a delivery in. There's options. You always got a goal scoring threat then, um, and you need to go into this with a threat. You can't just sit back and be resolute and defensive because you, you'll you get picked off against the better teams. We need to give them something to worry about. Uh, I'm taking my uh, Steve Cooper grievances out on Wales here. Apologies. <laughs> to go in there and give the best account of ourselves as we can. And that means um, without doubt our threat is is in the in the opposition half with our attacking talents. And, um, and that's where we need to focus. Yeah, one other um, one reason in particular to start more against Switzerland is that he's a full three inches taller than any of their defenders. Um, Switzerland are a good team and they've got some good defenders there, but but they're not the tallest. And you just think if you can get more up against someone like Akanji, who's brilliant on the floor, um, a really good player, but if you can get that cross perfect into him in the air, Akanji's not beating him in the air. You know, it's um, that there, there are chances there certainly. Um, I mean, Steve, let, let's let's start on on the matches. We we open up uh, our campaign on Saturday against the Swiss. Um, they are one of these teams who just over the you know in the in the modern era they have just made a habit of qualifying for major tournaments. They've they've qualified for seven of the last eight, um, and in four of those seven games they they've made it beyond the uh, the group stage. Um, they've also 
got a very, very good record, uh, a solid record then, I should say, when it comes to um, starting tournaments. Um, they've lost only one of their opening games in tournaments during the last 50 years. That was the, in 2008, ironically, when they actually hosted a tournament. Um, they lost to the Czech Republic, but since then, they beat Spain 1-0 in the opening game of the 2010 World Cup. They beat Ecuador 2-1 in the opening game of the 2014 World Cup, beat Ecuador in Euro 2016, uh, sorry, beat Albania in Euro 2016, and then got a one-all draw in the last World Cup against Brazil. There are some seriously eye-catching performances there, and they are, uh, I guess, very, very... They know the importance of the first game, I think, and they will um, throw everything at Wales, you'd imagine, um, in Baku on Saturday. Yeah, you've made my reasonable mood not so good with all those stats. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, as you say, Switzerland do have this great habit of qualifying, and they they quite often would find themselves getting out of groups and then possibly like for a World Cup, for example, they probably get to a last 16 and then probably go out. I mean, that's their, their sort of standard thing, really. But like, it's going to be difficult, isn't it? I think But the fact that potentially three teams go through from each group does mean, it, I always think it does lend itself to a little bit more cagey football because both teams might look at it and think, well, if we get a draw here, it's not the end of the world. We can take risks later on in uh, in the group because obviously if there is a winner then the side that loses is is really up against it then they, they know they're gonna you know there'll be a lot of pressure on them for the other games whereas obviously if you win your first game you know you're, you're very likely to go through when you'd say well you only really need a point then from uh, the other two games to guarantee going through so yeah it's it's a tough one I, th- I think we're in a, a difficult group I've got to be honest I think it's Mm. I'm not saying there's a particularly brilliant side in there. Obviously, Italy are the standout ones, but I mean they didn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup. I mean, and for Italy not to qualify for a tournament, uh, you know, is mainly unheard of, isn't it? So they, I don't think they're like the favourites for the tournament or anything like that. It'd be quite a big surprise, I think, if they were to win it. But I think this is quite a, a tough group, and it's it's a hard one to call. I mean, it, it could be very tight, really, between. Um, the four teams in terms of uh, who qualifies. I mean, I, I don't think there's a whipping boy in this group. No, absolutely not. I, I mean, Matt, looking back at um, uh, at Switzerland's results leading up to this game, I mean, they've, they've won the last um, five in a row, um, but they have, I'll, I'll just tell you who they've beaten. They beat Bulgaria 3-1, they beat Lithuania 1-0, they beat Finland 3-2, the United States 2-1, and Liechtenstein 7-0. So, you know, wins a win and all that, but they're not the, the most difficult of opposition. Um, but I'll be honest, I watched quite, quite a bit of Switzerland earlier on, um, well, uh, uh, kind of the start of the season, and they had a habit of playing very well against good teams, but maybe not, you know, having quite the quality to, to beat them. You know, they had 3-0 against Germany. Um, uh, they, they, they were unlucky to lose to Spain, um, unlucky to lose to Belgium, etc., uh, and usually we think of the Swiss, at least I did, as a very boring team. I'll be honest, like you go back 10 years, they, they were very defensive, very organised, not great to watch by any means. Um, these days, you know, they've got players like Shakiri, they've got players like Mbolo up front. Um, they, they've got they've got some good midfielders there who are very technical. This isn't going to be an easy game by any means, is it? 
No, but I'll be honest with you. You've spoken there at some length about Switzerland that I have very little information on. So let me do something unusual on this podcast and throw it right back to you. So not to embarrass myself and uh, take a shine off a podcast and talking utter more nonsense than I normally do. Um, you tell me. Uh, you tell me what you know. Swiss Switzerland's strengths are and uh, where Wales can hurt them and where Wales need to be careful because. Um, you, you've obviously uh, you've got a bit, fair bit more knowledge about their setup than me. I've just told you everything I know. Where's their strength? Is it going forward? I know you say they play nice football. Are they are they uh, are they particularly attacking in that sense, or do they just have individual stars that can make it happen? No, they they they'll express themselves a lot more than your traditional Swiss team. I mean, you've got you you've got players like Shakiri who is a bit of an unknown quantity going into this tournament because he's played so little football for Liverpool this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does, he, he's the kind of player that just always raises his game for Switzerland. Whenever you see him play for Switzerland, he looks like a much better player than the player who, um, you know, played for Stoke or, or Liverpool. You know, um, Embolo's got striker. Gavrinovic um, scores, has a brilliant scoring record at international level. Play, even for somebody like Granit Xhaka, who's a bit of a joke at Arsenal, really. Um, and has never really had the impact there that the people wanted him to have. He he always does play well for for um, for Switzerland, and you combine that then, you know, with with a, a decent back back four as well, a very good goalkeeper in Jan Sommer. They are a very well-rounded team, and you can see why they why they do so well in tournaments because they are quite difficult to beat. Um, and, and but these days they've they've got that little bit of. Um, I, I'm not sure if I go as far as saying flair, but they they they'll pass the ball around nicely. They'll they you know they can play good football and they can cause you a lot of problems. And and we've seen them score against some of the best teams in the world in the last year. So they're definitely going to bring a, an, an attacking threat. And I mean Matt, how you know first game in a tournament it's so important as the Swiss have found out because they they tend to you know get get the points on the board in, the, yeah. uh, in early in these games. I mean, if Wales lose against Switzerland, worst case scenario, then that suddenly really changes the the outlook, doesn't it? And suddenly yeah. things get get a bit desperate. Well, you know, you don't get you don't get a lot of you know, it's not like a forty six game season where you get a chance to to you know pick lick your wounds and uh, and 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 build back up. You you know they come thick and fast, and you've you've got to you've got to get off to a flyer really. Um, a bad start can be terminal. Um, you know, I'd be saying the same if we were starting off against Italy. Uh, we need to, you know, we need to set a marker down, and we we go back to the, we go back to the to, to Euro 2016 and and this and the Slovakia game. The 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 result obviously is all that mattered at the end of the day. Um, but we could have quite easily lost that game. Um, quite easily. I think they were on top. Um, for much of the second half, but. Uh, but we already had that feel-good factor going into the tournament. Then we somehow contrived to win it um, late on, and it was utter pandemonium, and that just rippled through the country. It, it didn't stay confined to, to France. It was all over all over Wales. There was just a sudden feeling of, oh, my God, this is absolutely phenomenal. And that's the feeling you can get when you get off to a good start, and it, it all of a sudden it invigorates hope rather than dampens spirits. Um the first game is 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 huge for for morale. Um, so yeah, the, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's so important we get off to a good start. 
with that in mind, Steve, uh, what's your team? If you were Rob Page, who are you picking for uh, for Saturday's match? I do think it's actually quite a difficult um, selection because we do have a lot of options, far more than what we've had in the past. So um, I think even goalkeeper now has become a big one. I, I was leaning towards Hennessy, but the way Danny Ward played in France, I think I'm actually leaning towards him now. So I'm going to say Danny Ward. We're going to have a back three of Ampadu, Roden and Ben Davis. Then I'm going to say Connor Roberts at right wing back and left wing back Nico Williams. Um, Joe Allen, Aaron Ramsey in the middle. And then a front three of Bale on the right, Moore in the middle and Dan James on the left. Um, what I like about this formation as well is that because we've got Ampadu in a back three, we could switch it to a 4-3-3 and put Ampadu into the holding midfield. So we do have options, I think, if we were to play this team. So that's what I would do. I have changed my mind. I've got to say, in, in recent weeks, like I said, it was Ward. And then I think Nico Williams played quite well in the, the qualifiers in March to, to the point where it made me think that he has to play. And it's I probably would have been a more of a 4-3-3 man before that. But um, I'm not now. So, yeah, that's uh, my team anyway. I'm sure a lot of people will have different teams because there genuinely is some strength and depth there. Joe, I've changed my mind a million and one times as well. But I think this week I've just thought, oh, strengths in attack. I was thinking oh, you, you have to play five at the back just to give you that solidity. You don't want to lose your first game. But last week I thought, oh, Joe, you know our strength is in attack. Just Let's just, you know, give them the best chance of scoring a goal. So I'd, I'd go kind of 4-2-3-1. Um, I'd play... Um, I'd also go for Danny Ward in goal, and that's another position where I've changed my mind. I've always thought Hennessy's, you know, done always done very well for Wales. He's never let Wales down, even when his club form hasn't been there. But but Danny Ward excelled in the Stade de France, and I think he he's done enough to to take that 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 number one jersey. Um, I go back four of Connor Roberts, Roden, Ben Davis, and Nico Williams. Um, so similar to you. I wasn't too impressed by Ethan Ampadu against um, um, who do we play Albania the other day. I didn't think he looked entirely match fit, whereas I thought Morel played quite well in difficult circumstances against France. So I'd actually pick Morel ahead of Ampadu uh, uh, alongside Alan, which is something I never thought I would I would say because I love Ethan Ampadu. Um, he's one of my favourite players for Wales, but but I think right now Morel may actually be a more reliable choice. Um, Ramsey in front of him, Bale and and Dan James on the wings, and then Kiefer Moore up front. So, um, but but I could change my mind again a million times before Saturday. I mean, Matt, what what do you think is the way? I like your I like. I like your team, um, Gitto. It does offer, um, and because of the uh, because of the setup as well, it does allow your Nico Williams and your Connor Roberts to offer something in attack as well, um, which is you know great strength of, of of both of them as well. And I just think with those those like minutiae in the games where you just have that little bit of difference, um, and we spoke about. Roberts from a Swansea perspective, but also you you know you can attribute it to Nico Williams, in that you can just have that overload. Then um, if you if you get an opportunity to to break, 
Um, then you you have the players who are already up there, like your you know your Wilsons, your Bales, your Dan Jameses, and your Kiefer Moores. But then you've got an option then breaking from deep to offer uh, you know a, a late sprint down the wing or something like that, and and really just as you've said, our threat and when you were deciding your team, our threat is going forward. So we need to complement that. We need to give ourselves the option. The worst thing you could do is say, right, our strength is attack. So let's forget about that and let's concentrate on defending because maybe that's, you need to play to your strengths. You need to know what you're good at and, and hone in on that and harness that. And I think um, I, I like your team because it offers, um, you know, even the likes of Joe Allen, you know, he's he's mobile enough to be up in up in the opposition final third as well as in front of our own back four. So, um, you know, you've got you've got options all around toss up between Morel and Ampadu. Um, I think people like the idea of Ampadu rather than the uh, than than a lot of what they see recently. But um, but there's nothing to say that Ampadu can't use this tournament as his you know his moment. You know his. Uh, it's his time to shine and, um, you know, he's got the talent. I think that's clear. But, uh, yeah, it's um, it's a nice problem to have for Robert Page. I think it's not often that we go into a tournament with genuine options. You know, we... we it's we not often at... we go into a to- tournament full stop, Matt. No, that's very true. That's <laughs> very true. And looking back to 2016, that's, and I'm thinking of our bench back then, yeah. and you were almost praying we didn't get an injury because um, we didn't have anything, really, did we? Let's be honest. Uh, we had no options uh, in depth at all. Um, whereas this time there will be a couple of disappointed players who miss out on starting eleven, yeah. and uh, and and that'll just be better for the idea that we can change it up if we need to, and keep the players on their toes. Yeah, I mean in 2016 we had Simon Church and Andy King playing in a in a yeah. semi-final of a major tournament, um, which showed you really the lack of depth that we did that we had in that tournament. The one thing that we certainly have in this tournament is is more depth. Uh, more strength and depth anyway um i i don't think we'll go on to discuss turkey in this uh, in this episode just because it seems like a very far well very far in the distance at this point and um obviously the way we approach that game is um largely dependent on on how we succeed against switzerland so with that in mind uh, i'm going to ask the two of you for predictions steve you go first uh, how are we going to kick off this tournament cause oh, a tough question so Actually, I'll just sit on the fence and say one all. Some uh, that's that's a splintery fence, uh, Matt. What's um, what are you thinking? Um, I think two one Wales. I I think this game could go absolutely anyway. I really mm. do. I think I think i i can see a situation where, where we just turn up and and blitz them and, and play much better than we we have done in ages and just gel a bit like we did when we turned up a euro 2016 i can see a situation where switzerland are just way too streetwise for us way way just too good on the ball for us and um and they pick us apart i can also see a, a situation where this is quite nervy and neither team is quite able to compose themselves enough to to get the win I, I'm going to sit on that fence with with Steve, and I'm going to go for a one-all draw too, um, which is a result which I think both teams would settle for if you offered it to them now. Um, All right, I'm going. I changed my mind. I'm going two-nil no Wales. <laughs> there we go. You have to compensate for our news. I know. I was thinking when you were talking there, and I just, as you were saying, if if Wales turn up, um, they've got the firepower, and um, yeah, 
if 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 we turn up, we've got the firepower to hurt Switzerland, and I just hope that uh, defensively, then we can um you know we can keep them out the other end. I I I think uh, you, know, you have to go in positive, don't you? Yeah, go on, two 0 Wales, come on. Two 0 Wales, that's the kind of positivity you like to hear. And look at, <laughs> look at the group as a whole. I mean, we touched on earlier. I I personally look at this group as a, a like obviously there is a group of death in the Euros with with France, Germany, Portugal, and Hungary. Um, other than that one, I, I'd say this one ranks very, very high up on the sort of toughest groups you can get. I think there are a lot of teams here. I mean, Italy are my dark horses to to win the, the whole tournament. Turkey have been in fantastic form recently. Um, Switzerland, too, have, be, have been brilliant um, over the last year. And we know what Wales can do if they if they want to turn up. I, th- I think this is a really, really tough group, um, which... I think we'd do well to to get out of, if I'm being honest. I think just getting to the knockout stages this year would be a real success. Um, with that in mind, boys, you know, Turkey against Italy opens up the tournament on Friday night. Are we hoping for an Italian win so that they can kind of just seal their qualification early and, and take their foot off the gas for Rome? I'll Marcus. defeat this, Gitto. <laughs> I, I definitely think that. I think it'd yeah. be great if Italy were to win the two games. And then in the last game, rested people, which I yeah. think is plausible. That happened in the last Euros, and Ireland beat them, didn't they? And managed to sneak through. So if Ireland could beat them, I mean, you know, <laughs> anybody could. <laughs> yeah, and they did rest people. Don't get me wrong, and probably took their foot off the gas, but still, I mean, we are talking about Ireland here, yeah? a disgusting Ireland team. So yeah, I definitely, from my point of view, I think the fixtures do lend itself well to if Italy, who everybody expects to probably win the group to win those first two games and then hopefully they will rest people for that last game and that just may give us that extra opportunity and um before we go i'm gonna ask for you and i'm gonna ask for another two predictions i want to hear where you think wales will reach in this uh this year's tournament and who do you think will be the eventual winners matt um you go first this time oh my god uh i did not prep for this question um where do I'm I keeping you on your toes, that's the thing. Yeah, um, where do I think Wales will finish? Uh, maybe, oh gosh. I see, now that's... I think we'll get out of the group. I think we'll get out of the group. Oh. Where we may go one further. I don't think we'll reach the semi-final this time, but, um, but uh, you know, we, we, we'll, we may go... What's that? What's that if we go one further than the group and win the next oh. game after the group? Last 16. Finals. Last 16, yeah? yeah? Oh, yeah. Last 16 would be the, the next one after the group and then your quarterfinals, semifinals, final. Wait, is, is the last 16 the one immediately after the group? Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. I mean quarterfinal then. I think we might win the last 16 game after the group. As, as our, that possibly is our limit, maybe quarterfinal then. Um, I think France. France to win the whole thing. Steve? Um, I think last 16 for us this time. I mean, if we finish third in the group, I think we'll face a group winner in the next stage and that would be very difficult. So we need to finish second, really. I think if we finish second, we'll play the team that finishes second in Group B, which Belgium are likely to win. And I think the other teams in there are Denmark, Russia and um, Finland. So I think if we were to come second, that group would have a chance. But Denmark, the likely opponents would be tough. So... I'm going to say last 16, and to win, I think you can't really look past France. I mean, you look at the first 11 that we played against last week, that was pretty scary. 
the likes of Kante to come back in. They've they've got other substitutes as well. But that's as formidable as it gets. If if someone knocks out France, then they've done very well, I would say. Yeah, I, I, I think full house in terms of France. I just think they've got the best squad in world football by quite some distance. Um, and yeah, if, if they can, you know, as long as they don't do a France and kind of implode, um, then yeah, the, the, the tournament's theirs as far as I'm concerned. The only other teams, I mean, there, there are a couple of other teams who could challenge them. I mean, I, I said Italy are my dark horses. Um, they've looked really good under Mancini. Belgium still have a very good squad um, and, and play brilliant football. I don't think you can rule out England, um, even though I, I don't think they're a complete um, side by any means. Um, and there are a couple of other dark horses in the Euros. You know, you, you, the, the Euros have been won by Denmark and Greece in the past. So, you know, anything can happen, I guess. But um, those are my favourites. In terms of Wales... I'm a little bit more pessimistic than you two. I I have a feeling that this is just too much of an ask for us, and I think we may exit at the group stage. Um, I think we could. I I I think we may finish third, but whether we'll be one of the best third place finishers, I'm not sure. I think it. I think it's going to be very tough to get out of this group, and I think if we do get out of this group, it will be a heck of an achievement because we've got three very difficult games ahead of us, and I don't think we're going to have matches like the Russia one in Toulouse five years back where, um, you know, we, we could really enjoy ourselves and express ourselves. I think it's, um, I think it's going to be a lot more nervy this time around. Um, but I mean, fact remains, Wales are in a major football tournament for only the third time ever. I know fans can't be there, but this is amazing, an amazing achievement, an amazing uh, event to, to be part of. And just hopefully Wales can uh, can turn up and and do themselves justice. Um, fingers crossed. Everybody in Wales will uh, be hooked to their TVs on uh, Saturday afternoon, hoping that we'll uh, have a similar start to uh, the one we had out in Euro 2016. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Thank you very much for joining us and uh, and listening as always. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for another podcast coming up over the coming weeks. But until then, thank you very much for joining us. Mm-hmm.